This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. As the title to today's sermon, which is, it's not that hard. I mean, after hearing Si Hui read that, uh, you could have the impression that it is hard. And Romans 9 to 11 have the reputation of being hard. And in one sense, it is hard, but it's not that hard. I mean, the basic essential message is clear, is straightforward. Now, just look at uh, the first verse, chapter 9, verse 13. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, they didn't pursue it, but they have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. It is astonishing that they didn't pursue, but they did attain. It is astonishing, but it is not hard to understand. You see, it's just like a Lego competition, and uh, there's a price of $1,000 and five nights stay at Legoland. And so all the master builders, you know, they gather and they build their project, and all the keen teenagers, you know, like my son, who borrow the sister's Lego and, you know, spend hours building the project, and they submit it. But at the end of the day, the person who wins it happens to be that toddler who was there, and she had a few pieces put together. She wasn't even taking part in the competition, but she won it. She won first prize even though she wasn't pursuing it. Now, why is it that the Gentiles, that's, uh, you know, you and me, unless you are a Jew, why did the Gentiles who did not pursue it, why did they get it? Why did they get this righteousness? And when Paul says righteousness here, he's not talking about good works, he's not talking about morality, he's not talking about high moral standard. Righteousness means that a person is in the right with God, that this person is accepted by God, that this person has God's approval. So why is it that they didn't pursue it, yet they got it? Well, the answer is there in the very first question, what then? shall we say? Okay, the answer is in the word then. Because with the word then, Paul is referring to what he has said in chapter 9. And what he has said in chapter 9 is that whoever receives this righteousness, whoever receives this right standing with God, is because God has mercifully chosen them. So the then refers to God's merciful choice. Now this reminds us us here who are Gentiles, that even though we who have now received that righteousness, if we have received it, I mean, there was a time when we were self-centered, greedy, we were lustful, we were hateful, we, were, we had no cares about God or His purposes, and yet, here we are in this room, we weren't pursuing that righteousness, and yet, and yet, we have received that righteousness. We are in the right with God. God looks at us and He approves of us, those of us who have this righteousness. So before we get into the rest of the passage, we should pause and thank God that this is true of us, that this, this, the first sentence here of a, of a passage that is not too hard to understand, 
we who weren't pursuing it, by God's merciful choice, we have received it. So will you join me in giving thanks and also asking God that we may understand this passage? Please pray with me. Father, for us who have known something of your grace and mercy in Christ, who have some confidence and certainty that the verdict over us is righteous, not because of anything we've done. In fact, the things we've done show how undeserving we are of this. But yet your word tells us by your merciful choice, and it is all of mercy, all of grace. You have chosen us, and we have come to know. We've been enabled to see the truth, to believe the truth, and to embrace the Lord Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. Father, I pray that you help each one of us never take this for granted, but to grow in this knowledge, to be confident in its uh, certainty, be secure, and to constantly be living in light of its truth. And it is truth that we pray uh, in this passage you help us all to grasp. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to uh, recap quickly why Paul is writing uh, these three chapters. And it is because at the end of chapter 8, you know, the great 8 of Romans ends with great promises, great assurance that God will never desert us, that his promises for us will come true. But then for the people that he's writing to, as they hear Paul assuring them of this promise, they they can't help but look at, you know, not not the drum set, but look at the Jews out there who are not saved. Because even though there are some Jews that are saved, there are many Jews that are not. And that's a problem because these were a group of people that God had formerly made promises to. And so if they look at these people, hey, they're not saved. Then, and God has made promises to them. And so if God, you know, breaks his promise to them, they're not saved, then what good is his promise to us? Okay, so you see the point? That's why, uh, Paul has to respond. And he responded in chapter 9 by saying, well, he didn't make a promise to all of them. And it is not by their descendant, you know, from Abraham, not by their lineage that they are saved, but rather it is by God's merciful choosing of who's in, who's in the true Israel, who is truly his people. Now that was chapter 9. Chapter 10 takes it from the human point of view. So chapter 9 was from God's perspective of his choice, but chapter 10 is from the perspective of our human responsibility and of how, why these Jews who are not saved is not God's fault but it's because they have rejected God's offer of salvation. Okay, so let me, let me try and uh, put it together. Paul is basically saying, not just the Jews, but anybody, anybody, if anybody is not saved, it is because they have rejected, it is their fault. But if anybody is saved, it is God's work. The credit goes to God. Okay? If anybody is saved, the credit belongs to God. The Jews, they're not saved. Well, that's because they have rejected God's offer of salvation. It is not God's fault. It's not as if God had failed or uh, his promise has failed or something like that. Now, 
if you're following me and you're Singaporean, you will be thinking, win liao lo. Huh? I save is his credit. I not save is my fault. Right? Win liao lo. Okay, I mean, that's if you're following me and you heard what I said and if you're Singaporean. Well, the illustration that tries to explain this point goes something like this. Uh, five people want to rob a bank. And these are actually my friends. And I find out about it. And so I go to them and I plead with them. I beg them, please, please, please don't do it. It's a stupid thing to do. Don't rob the bank. But they won't listen. Because the Apple keynote just came out and they, they, they just have to get all those gadgets, right? So they, they push me away. They won't listen. But I managed to tackle one of them as, as they're leaving. I, I grab hold of one and then, you know, tackle him to the ground. But the four managed to escape. And the four go on to rob the bank. <sighs> because they are amateurs, they get caught. They get caught, they, got, they get convicted, and they get sentenced to jail. Now the fifth person, who I managed to tackle to the ground, um, of course did not get caught, did not get convicted, and is not sentenced. So he is walking around as a free man. Now whose fault is it? that the four men are in prison now. Of course, it is entirely their fault. They, they, they did the illegal thing. They did the stupid thing. It is entirely their fault. But for the fifth man, can he go around thinking, ha, 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 fresh air, I'm a free man. That's because I'm a good person. That's because my heart is good. I did not rob a bank. No, the only reason he is free is because I restrained him. I tackled him to the ground. I prevented him from doing the stupid thing. So those who face God's judgment have no one to blame but themselves. And those who receive salvation cannot praise anyone except God and what God has done graciously in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question goes, is still, why did so many Jews not receive God's offer of salvation? And you see the first point there? It is because they found themselves stumbling over God's way. They did not attain righteousness because, look at verse 32, why not? Why didn't they receive it? It is because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumble over the stumbling stone. As it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So what was the problem? The problem was that they tried to be in the right true works by keeping the law they wanted to attain righteousness but not just these Jews right anyone anybody who tries the works way of earning righteousness will fail you see you must appreciate the big difference right the big difference between the way of faith and the way of works the way of faith faith is simply with open hands, gratefully receiving what God graciously gives. It is simply receiving what God is graciously giving. 
But works, works on the other hand, it is all about trying to save yourself. All about trying to keep that standard and by our own effort, doing the law, doing the good works, trying to earn that right standing before God. It is a big difference between faith and works. Now, why is it that God's way is a way of faith? Why does God like this way? Why has He chosen this way? Because His offer of salvation comes by promise. It is, it is God who has promised that He will save. And the reason why He chooses to save by making a promise, and we learned this earlier in Romans, is because only by promise is it certain. If it were by works, then, you know, there would be no certainty. Because only if you manage to attain that, that whatever level it is, then you can receive that salvation. But God, God doesn't want it to be uncertain. He wants it to be certain. He wants it to, you know, for us to be confident and assured that we are saved. And so, He makes out of His character, out of His goodness, out of His steadfastness, He makes a promise. And the most appropriate response to a promise is faith. Not trying to earn it. Because if a promise has already been given, then you simply accept and trust yourself to the promise. God's way is by faith because He wants to make a promise. God's way is by faith because when it's by faith, we have no reason to boast. If it's by works, then can you imagine forever and ever and ever there would be people in heaven patting themselves on the back. You know, like that. I made it here on my own because of my works. I mean, how could that be heaven? No, no, it is by faith so that there could be no boasting. So that all, all the glory can go to God and to God alone. That's why God's way is by faith. And that's why anyone who pursues this righteousness, who pursues this salvation other than by faith, they will find themselves knocking stumbling over this stone. Now, who put the stone there? Why is there a stone in the way of those who are trying to go the way of works? Who put the stone there? God did, right? See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble because he doesn't want anyone going that way of works and being able to boast. You see, the stone is Jesus. The stone is there to block, make people stumble if they want to go by the way of works. But this stone is a stone of salvation. It's a stone that for everyone who believes on this stone, who entrusts themselves to this stone, they will not be put to shame. Now, why is it when you go by the way of works, you will stumble over the stone? Because if you insist on works, if you insist on trying to earn something, contribute something to your salvation, you are insisting that what Jesus did is not enough. And so that's why you keep knocking up against Him. Because you're saying, hey, 
what you did is not enough. That's why I need to do this. That's why I need to contribute. You keep knocking against the stone because by the way of works, by the way of law-keeping, it is failing to recognize what verse 4 tells us. Paul says in verse 4, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, a lot of ink has been spilled over this verse, but for now, just take it simply that what Paul is saying, that the law, the Old Testament, has always pointed ahead, pointed not essentially to itself, but pointed forward to Christ. Christ is the goal. Christ is what the law was a signpost pointing towards. So that in seeing what the law pointed to, we can see Christ and can see that God's way of salvation is by faith in Him. Everyone who believes will receive that righteousness. So you see, I said at the introduction that Paul is answering, oh, you know, why these Jews are not saved. But can you see that this is not just about the Jews? Because what Paul is dealing with here is the most important question of how. How can anyone be saved? The most important question of how can we obtain salvation? That's why these chapters essentially are not hard. There's a lot of complexity, yes, but its essential message is the way to receive salvation. The only way is by faith in Christ. So it's not just a Jewish issue. It's not something, okay, we just need to know so that we can understand the argument of Romans. No, no, this goes right to the most important question in the universe. Right? So, I mean, you are here and maybe you have important questions in your heart and mind about maybe paying the bills, you know, uh, I know how to get through your job, try change job, you know, mother-in-law, or, I mean, a whole host of questions you may have. But if you consider and think with me, there is no more important question than this. How can anyone be saved? How can I be saved? What is the only way? And God's way is not hard. Point number two, God's way is not hard. Verses 5 to 13. Now what Paul does here in this section is that he quotes from the Old Testament to make the point that the Old Testament has always, always been teaching righteousness by faith. So he goes, so he doesn't just say it, but he shows from Scripture, from the Old Testament, that it's always taught that. Now, one interesting fact that I uh, found as I was studying this is that, you know, Paul has written many books, huh? many books in the New Testament, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, I mean, many books, right? And one-third of all the Old Testament quotations in all of his works in the a, in a, in a New Testament, one-third of it is found in these three chapters. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? So, so these three chapters, you know, it's like, da, 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 and then these three chapters, oh, you know, a lot of Paul's Old Testament quotations are found here, which is one of the reasons why it can seem difficult. And it is complex if you really dig in. But like I said, the essential message 
is not hard. So what is he saying in verse 5? He says in verse 5, well, there is the impossible way. The righteousness, you want to gain that, there is the impossible way to righteousness. And that is, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law, that is by works. This is the impossible way. Because the person who does these things will live by them. And what he means is, the person who does the law perfectly, the person who does the law 100% will live will be able to gain life, will not face death, will attain righteousness. But you need to do the law 100% perfectly. You see? It's impossible. It's impossible not because, you know, God made the law, haha, you see, and make it just beyond your reach. No, it's impossible because we are so sinful. It is impossible to keep it 100%. And you may ask, but why? Why must it be 100%? I mean, can't I be, you know, just better than everyone else? And so God just chooses the top 10%, you know, like the way our society works. I mean, why can't God work that way? Why must it be 100%? Well, uh, you know, many ways to explain it, but let me put it to you this way. What if you engage a babysitter and, you know, you and your spouse went out for a nice movie, you know, like you joined Pastor Andrew to watch Train to Busan, that documentary about the spread of Christianity in South Korea, right? That's, that's what I think the movie is about. Um, but then you come back from the movie and then the babysitter tells you, oh, the baby drowned. But, 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 okay, but I, I fed the baby carefully. She didn't make a mess. I changed the diaper properly. But only because I was bathing her and then I saw there was a Pokemon to catch. That's why I caught it first. Everything else I did well, except for that. You're not going to accept her less than 100% effort, will you? So God as well only accepts 100%. That is the impossible way that Old Testament says. But verse 6 and following tells us that God has provided a way of salvation that is not hard. Verse 6, But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the deep? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. It is not that heart because whatever, everything that is needed for our salvation to happen, God has done it. We do not have to scale up to heaven and bring down from heaven, you know, a, a perfect sacrifice. The only person that can stand in our place, the only person that can take our sin for us, we, we don't have to do that because God has already sent Christ down. And Christ has paid for our sin. He has stood in our place. The death and the punishment we deserve for our self-centeredness, for our God-hating, Christ has taken it. He has faced that death. He has truly died. But we don't have to raise Christ from the dead because in God's power, God has raised Christ from the dead as proof that the payment is paid. It is not that hard 
because God is the one who has done absolutely everything that is needed. It is not that hard. All that is needed, Christ has done. And so, verse 9 tells us we just need to confess and believe. We just need to, with open hands, gratefully accept what God has graciously given. Verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, we just need to confess and believe. And we need to confess and believe that Jesus is Lord. Because unless we believe He is Lord and that He is Lord over everything, He is Lord over evil and Satan and sin, if we don't believe He is Lord over that, then, I mean, how else can He save? Unless He is Lord over that. And we need to confess and believe that God has raised Him from the dead. Because how can a dead Christ save us? It means that He Himself has not conquered death. It is Christ who has been raised and us believing He has been raised. That's why we trust that this risen Savior can save us from death as well. It is not that hard. But why? Why didn't the Jews allow God to save them? Why, why didn't the Jews get saved if it's really not that hard? And I think the answer is because God's way was just too simple. It was just too easy. It was just too simple. It was, it was, it was beneath their dignity. The simple way of faith was beneath them. There's a story in uh, 2 Kings 5 about Naaman, a general from uh, this neighboring country, from Aram, and he has the disease of leprosy. And he goes to a prophet in Israel called Elisha and, you know, begs to be healed. And Elisha says, okay, okay, um, you go and wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times and then you'll be healed. But this Naaman, the general, I mean, he said, what? I come all this way and he just wants me to go into this, 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 this dirty little river. I mean, don't, don't in Aram, don't we have greater and grander and more majestic rivers? Why can't I wash myself there? What me? What, ask me to wash myself here? And he's about to stomp off. But then his servant goes, hey, sir, 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 master. What if the prophet asks you to do some great thing? You know, scale some mountain, do something great. I mean, wouldn't you have done it? But here he's asking you to do this simple thing. Why don't you do it? And so Naaman sees the point. He washes himself seven times in the Jordan River and he is healed. You see, because the human heart, because of its sinful default setting, is always wanting to contribute. Always wanting to find a a way to earn Always wanting to not stand fully on grace, but to be able to contribute, be able to earn something towards our salvation. God's way is not hard. Which brings us to the third point, that God's way, because it is not hard, 
It is offered to everyone. It is for everyone. Look at verse 11. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And then verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God's way is not hard and it is open to everyone. Anyone and everyone who simply calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now what this means is that in order for someone to call, they must believe. And in order to believe, they must hear. Which is what Paul says in verse 14. Now this is a passage that, you know, uh, in recent weeks we've been looking at. I know I'm the one that quoted it when we looked at our missions passage. But you see Paul's golden chain, his, his, his logic there. Everyone who calls will be saved. But what is needed for people to call? Well, he goes and tells us in verse 14 and 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So you see the point I'm trying to make? Everyone, and this is open to everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. I mean, this is a guarantee. Right, absolute guarantee is a promise by God. You call on me, you will be saved, God says. But Paul says, okay, okay, but what are the things that must happen before someone can call? Then he goes into this golden chain, this, this irresistible logic. Before they can call, they must believe. Before they can believe, they must hear. Before they can hear, someone must preach. And this chain is used, you know, to help, you know, uh, lethargic Christians see that you know, before the unreached people's group can, can, can call, you know, we who are sent, we must go and we must preach so that some can hear and, and those who hear, some can believe and when they believe, they can call. I mean, that's what, that's the way the passage is used, right? But as I'm studying it, I'm thinking, but what, what was Paul's primary purpose in asking, in giving this golden chain? And his primary purpose in telling us this, in this passage, it's because if everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, people can still say, oh, then maybe the reason these Jews are not saved is because they haven't heard. You see? Okay, because the problem is, why are these Jews not saved? Oh, is it because they are not saved because they haven't heard? Because they haven't heard, that's why they cannot call. And so Paul says, no, 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 no. Everyone who calls, they must believe and then you know, are here and someone must preach. And then he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul's point is, his point is, I have beautiful feet. Not just him, but he and other gospel workers that have gone out, gone out into the known world, gone to, you know, every known place in the world, and they have gone to the Jews. Paul is saying, I I have beautiful feet because Paul's practice is whenever he goes on a missionary journey, his first port of call is to go into the synagogue. 
He'll go to the synagogue because these are the people who have the law, who have the Bible. And he goes there and he persuades them. He points them to, look, look at what the law says. He points them to this Christ who will be crucified. And look, he has come. Jesus has come. Will you not believe? And he will keep doing that until he's kicked out. Kicked out of the synagogue. And then he goes to the Gentiles. Marketplaces, goes to the, you know, pork seller and all these places and he will go to the Gentiles and he will preach and in Paul's experience few in the synagogue believe and call but he finds many many among the Gentiles who weren't pursuing it hey this is great news God has come down to rescue us and they end up believing and calling on the Lord so the Jews did not believe not because something in the golden chain was missing. No, Paul and many others had beautiful feet. But verse 16, But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? And in verse 18, But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. See, Israel, it's not because they didn't hear. Paul says, like Psalm 19, the message of the gospel has gone out, like, you know, general revelation, like, like, like people can see the sun and can see, oh, there's a creator. The gospel has gone out like that to the Jews. They have heard, but they did not accept. And then Paul goes on to quote, uh, a few other Old Testament passages to show that this was something that even back in Old Testament, God predicted already uh, the Jews would have difficulty accepting and believing. So at heart, the message is about the way to salvation. And I just want to appeal to us here. I mean, this is a room and, you know, many of you here are Christians. And that's a great thing. But I've, I've come across this often enough to know that you can be in church for many years. You can even be in a church where you receive good teaching. And yet... So many of us still entertain thoughts. So many of us, our hearts are still somehow inclined towards attaining righteousness by works. You know, living the Christian life, you know, confessing grace, but we're all wired up to live by works. The way we look at others, the way we look at ourselves, the way we live the Christian life, it is all by way of works. I mean, please, let's all hear the plain message of this chapter. Don't keep knocking against the stone. See, it's like a tsunami coming. And instead of, you know, hanging on to the rope that the helicopter has has lowered down for you, you think, it's alright, I'll swim for it. See, the only people who will, instead of grabbing onto the rope, but want to swim for it is because they think the tsunami is a small thing. Right? Have you grasped the seriousness of your sin? 
Or have we lived with our sin, you know, so long that we've compromised and we think only those big things are really serious, but I don't do any of those big things. No, have you seen that even that, that smallest hint of pride is so ugly to a holy and majestic God? And so it is in seeing the seriousness of our sin that we, oh, no, no. The tsunami is coming. There's no way I can swim for it. My only hope is to grab onto the offer of salvation that God has given to me by faith in Christ. Christ has come down. Christ has been raised. Please do not look at that and think that you can in any way earn your salvation. I also want to appeal to anyone here who is not a Christian. And if you're here, there may be, you know, it's a good sign that maybe you have been exploring this Christianity, Christianity thing. And it may be that you look at it and you go, oh man, it's so complicated. What is this Trinity thing? What is this predestination thing? And yes, yes, okay, yes, there are complicated and, you know, complex things in the Bible. But can I say to you what this chapter is saying that the essential message of Christianity, that the, the way to salvation, the offer of God's salvation, that is not hard. It is simply calling on Him. It is simply accepting, receiving with open hands what God has graciously given. That you see Jesus is extraordinary. He's not just a normal person. That this Jesus has taught things and, and did things. And not only that, he has been raised from the dead. And if, if, you, if you know enough, if you see enough, and you, you see that the evidence points to this, then you know enough to call on him to be saved. You don't have to resolve all the other nitty-gritty. That will come in time. That will be important in its own way. But do you see? Do you see enough? that Jesus is Lord and that he's been raised from the dead. If you do, then, then hesitate no more. Simply call on him and you will be saved. Just like what uh, Pastor Andrew reminded us about Yong Kiat's death. Very simple man. But he heard enough, understood enough, that Jesus is God. Jesus gave his life for him and he's been raised from the dead. And this simple man, without much learning, without much education, he grasped this, called on the Lord, and he is saved. And we are saved. We are saved because God has enabled us to believe. What we heard enabled us to call on the Lord. And for many of us, it's because someone with beautiful feet came to tell us. So can you just, you know, uh, bring to mind the person who had beautiful feet, who the person who was the first one to bring you the message of the gospel so that you in time believed what you heard and called on the Lord and now you are saved. Can you just pause and give thanks to God? I mean, don't take this ever for granted. So just thank God now for the person who had beautiful feet for you. And if you've done that, can I get you to also think who 
in your life you can be someone with beautiful feet for? Who is someone that God has placed in your life that you have an opportunity with beautiful feet to go to him or her and tell him that he may hear, that she may have a chance to believe and have a chance to call on the Lord. And if she or she does that, he will be saved. My time is almost up, but I want to end with this story. I want to end with a story from one of my favorite missionary biographies. Uh, it's Killing Fields, Living Fields. It's a story of how the church in Cambodia survived the Khmer Rouge. And the story is told of a 15-year-old boy who managed to escape to safety in Thailand, a refugee camp in Thailand, and he heard someone with beautiful feet told him about the message of the gospel, and he heard and he believed and he called and he was saved. But then he realized that the village that he had come from in Cambodia, they have not heard. And so they are not saved. And so this 15-year-old boy, who at that Thailand refugee camp, not only heard the gospel, but he was also diagnosed with stomach cancer. And he was given three months to live together with an older brother. And on crutches, he went back across the border into Cambodia, where at that time, people were starving. At that time, the Khmer Rouge army was just killing people and putting them in, into forced labor. He went back into Cambodia so that he could go to his village and tell them that Christ has come down, that Christ has been raised from the dead. And then the author writes, I have never seen anyone with such beautiful feet. May God help us to have beautiful feet. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.